reading from the NIV, um, Hebrews 12, 1 through 7. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and lets us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Yeshua, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Shabbat shalom. I want to um, start with a word of prayer. Lord, we um, want to be quiet. We thank you, Lord, that your presence has been very evident here today. And uh, we're delighted to be in your presence. And as your word tells us, in your light, we will see light. And Lord, that's our desire. And we pray, Lord God, this morning that as we consider your word, Lord God, we pray that your Ruach would give us the needed enlightenment for our particular situation, both corporately as a mishpacha and individually, Lord, you know us, you know our needs. We pray, Lord God, that each one of us would hear your word in our language. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Um, I know it's hard when you read the Word of God to think of Paul and uh, the writer of Hebrews and, and uh, the other writers to think of them as athletes. Well, they probably weren't. Um, but if you know anything about history and archaeology, you'll know that in most towns of any significant size, there were amphitheaters. And archaeology has shown us that. Um, people who were not necessarily athletes would go to these and, um, and would enjoy an afternoon of seeing wrestling or some kind of other sports, especially races. And uh, this is particularly something that um, fits in with my dim and distant past. Um, when I was in high school, I participated in cross-country races. And there was one race in particular, and this is in New York City, in the Bronx, uh, in a park called Van Cortland Park. And, uh, it, you know, to this day, it stays in my mind very vividly. 
um, we would start the race, about 300 young, young fellows, and uh, head into uh, the path would narrow so that only a few of us can race, three or four of us at a time, and we would be in the hills. And we'll go up and down, 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 up and down some more. And uh, that's when people would have the tendency to die. Not literally die, but um, run into major issues because they would run out of energy. And I don't know if you've participated in sports of one kind or another. Uh, what was typically what typically happens in the longer races is that you basically run out of steam at some point um, in what we would call the middle, the middle miles and uh, there's a part of you that just desperately, desperately wants to quit. Um, and that's where you get tested. That's those kinds of races test your, your metal, uh, your resolve Anyways, at the end of that, we would emerge into a large area again where the coaches and other f runners who had gone before us would stand there yelling and, and cheering us on and we would somehow find some kind of leftover energy to come and, uh, and finish the race. And this is, at least for me, this is the kind of picture that, that we see here. Um, you see, our life as believers, our relationship with the Lord, is being compared to the race. And you say, what kind of race? Well, it's a race of faith. Uh, we've been talking a lot about growing into maturity in Yeshua, and that's a process. And we move in the, hopefully, move in in the direction towards Him. And because it is a race, there are times we get tired. We get tired of the effort and we look around us and we compare the facts that we see on the ground versus the facts that we feel God is giving us, you know, the, through our spiritual eyes, the eyes of faith. And we say, Lord, what I'm seeing with my natural eyes just doesn't seem to fit with what with a picture I'm seeing with my spiritual eyes. What's up with that? And uh, we struggle. And yet somehow, God brings us to a point where He infuses us, He gives us strength to continue to persevere and, and press on in this race. And that's very much the picture that the writer of Hebrews tells us. He speaks about action, lots and lots of action here. Um, let us run the race. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us run with perseverance. Now, I wanted to take and break that down a little bit. And first of all, talk about the cloud of witnesses. What is a cloud of witness? Well... It's an expression to basically tell us that there's a whole bunch of people who have finished the race and are there waiting for us. And if you've read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you know that that's exactly what he's talking about. 
And cloud, you know, just means has the heavenly ideas. Uh, these are folks in Hebrews 11 who have gone the race, have persevered, and are, in a sense, cheering us on. And what, what this whole section, this whole picture tells us that our relationship with the Lord requires effort. I want to read a couple of verses that, that highlight that. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and then in 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Do you ever feel like your life has no real purpose, no real direction, no real goal, that you're going day to day, week to week, without any clear sense of movement and direction? That's what... Paul in 1 Corinthians is speaking about. And part of the picture that we see in Scripture is that there are all kinds of reasons and obstacles that would keep us from persevering, from pressing on. Again, one of those is the notion that what we see spiritually, what God tells us, what God conveys to us, Versus what we see, the facts on the ground oftentimes don't match. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, where you have been praying for something and you sensed the Spirit of God impressing on you that there's a plan and that God is at work. And you get all excited and say, Thank you, Lord. I am grateful that you were talking to me. And uh, yes, I want to embrace it, but what is it going to look like? And then you get up the next morning, and it seems like a completely different reality. You know what I'm talking about? And so we can either grab on to what we sense God was saying to us, or else we can say, Lord, forget it. It must have been last night's pizza or something else. We see that throughout Scripture, by the way. Even, even with the father of faith, Abraham, the Lord says to him, you're going to have Bambini, kids. And year after year after year after year comes no children. And at some point, Abraham says, Abraham at that point, says to himself and to Eliezer, who is the, the head of his household, um, I'm going to die. That's fact. Uh, I need someone who will take over my household when I die. So I'm going to appoint you to be the head, uh, the inheritor of my my goods. Everything that I have is going to go to you. And I'm glad that God didn't give up on Abram, because in chapter 15 of Genesis. The Lord comes back to him a number of years had passed and said to him, Abram, I'm your great, I'm your shield and your great reward. And Abram at that point is saying, Lord, you've got to be kidding. 
uh, you gave me option A, plan A, and thank you for that, but I have already proceeded with plan B. And I'm grateful that God doesn't slap him up upside the head and throw him to the curb. But the Lord works with him. And this is part of the process here in, in Hebrews, the letter to the Messianic Jews, that this is not just something that requires effort, but God has already gone before us and has already mapped out the course of what this is supposed to look like. I don't know if you notice at the end of verse 1 here in chapter 12, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. In other words, we're not supposed to sit down and make all these great and glorious plans of how we're going to go from point A to point B to point C. That has already been determined. And God has laid out a path for us and he wants us to fall on that path towards accomplishing what he has planned for us to do. It's already been laid out for us. So how on earth do we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles? Well, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Again, athletic picture, and if you have ever been in athletics of one kind or other, competitive, etc., you know that when you go into some kind of an event where you're participating, whether it's a, uh, a race or a football match or something, you don't come in a three-piece suit, do you? You come in a way that is prepared for vigorous activity. And runners, by the way, get warmed up and then when the race comes, they take off their sweats and they get down to shorts and a t-shirt. Even in cold weather. And that's kind of the picture that he has in mind here. Get rid of things that are unnecessary in your life and weigh you down. Things that are part of our life but really hinder us from pressing forward and going towards the path that the Lord has for us. And if you're like me, you, you want to be able to put it in terms of reality in terms of what does that look like? What does it mean to take off unnecessary clothes and the sin that binds our feet? What does that look like? How do, how do, you, how do you apply it? How do you explain it? Well, there are several things that jumped out at me. One of those, of course, is unbelief. Because if this is the race of faith where we trust God and depend on Him with confident expectation, then the opposite of that, that would take us the opposite direction, would not be faith, but would be lack of faith or unbelief. And folks, that's, at least for me, that is something that binds me up and has for years until God began to open my eyes and the Spirit of God who convicts us of sin, as James pointed out earlier today, the Spirit of God gently points out and says, hello, that is lack of faith. That is unbelief. What are you going to do about it? Well, you can either 
say, well, I'm just going by what I can see. Facts on the ground, you know, you have to deal with it, which is correct to a point. Or else you can see to God, say to God, Lord, please forgive me for my unbelief. For this basic lack of trust in you. Not in my fantasy ideas, but in things that you somehow have conveyed to me. As what you have for me, part of your plan and strategy. And you simply say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me and cleanse me of my unbelief. And you basically take that uh, dirty clothes of unbelief and pitch it. And that's difficult, isn't it? Think about it, folks. We're surrounded by negativism. We're surrounded by a culture that either says, you do it, it's all on you, or else a culture that is very negative and and lots of naysayers. If you've been involved in ministry of any kind or something where you stretch you know that there'll, there'll always be people who'll come along and say, nah, that's not going to happen. Here's a problem, there's a problem, there, here's a problem, etc. And if we learn to depend on God and to throw off this garment, so to speak, the, this sweat, sweaty clothes of unbelief, then we move forward in the race of faith in the path that God has outlined for us. Again, we're not talking about fantasy, something that we cook up and, and, and it seems like a good idea, but something that we have learned to wait on God and God has somehow communicated to us and explained to us that that's what He has in mind. Again, remember that scripturally, um, particularly in Hebrew, the notion of waiting on God is not some kind of a, of a passive thing where you roll over and play dead. And you say to God, God, whatever, do whatever you have in mind, that's cool. That's not scripture, that's not the notion of waiting on God. Waiting on God scripturally and, and with the Hebrew expressions has to do with actively seeking God in confident expectation that the things that he's communicated to you will actually happen. And you take the things that, that you sense God has communicated and you say, God, would you please clarify and, and confirm that this is a view that I was not dreaming? And you depend on God. You wait on God. You depend on Him to bring about the things that He has planned and purposed for you. The huge garment that binds us up and prevents us from running, of course, is unbelief. The, the opposite of that is learning to be attentive to God's presence and God's activity. And you may say, Lord, I'm clueless. You may be doing all kinds of wonderful things. I can't see any of it. So part of my approach has simply been to say, Lord, give me eyes. Give me spiritual eyes to see what you're doing, to see you, to see what you're doing. And that's what the author here is talking about, that a major part of running the race is not just learning to persevere, 
but having the right perspective. Where are we looking? Where are we looking? Where is our focus? And by the way, the word for looking here is not just one of these glances where you look and then you turn away. The word for looking here has the sense of turning your eyes away from something and fixing them on something else. In other words, there are lots of things in life that we can be focused on and obsessed with, and we can do that, or else we can say, no, I need to focus on the Lord, what He has in mind, what He's doing, where He wants me to go, and that's where I want to pose to point my nose. That's what the writer is saying. Run with perseverance, hang in there, persevere, press on, and the reason why you can do that is because you have your eyes on the Lord. I'm not a huge football fan, but the, in the aftermath after the, bronco, the, the loss of the Broncos, um, the airwaves were just filled with dissection of what took place in the loss between the Broncos and, and the Ravens. But there was one image that really stuck in my mind and that was Jacoby Jones um, at the end, almost at the end zone, um, about 30 seconds left. And the, the weather was in the teens. And there was a Bronco um, defender just in front of him. And the Ravens were losing. And the game was almost over. And yet, you, you see that his, his focus, his vision on, the, on this Hail Mary bomb that's coming at him, uh, and he 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 looks at it and he catches it, and that's some part of the picture here is our need to have our eyes on Yeshua, not to be distracted by all kinds of things. And and folks, if if you look around you, and if you are aware of what's going on in the world. You heard some of the news that I mentioned about Israel. Pretty scary world that we live in. And you can be obsessed by it. And the internet, Facebook, emails are just humming back and forth about all kinds of things that are happening that are designed to stoke our fear and with it to increase our unbelief. Do we want to feed on that? Do we, we want to park on that? Do, do we want to, to obsess round and round and around about the difficult things that are going on? Or do we want to obsess and focus on Yeshua? So that we can stand firm and be immovable and, and not grow weary. Verse 3, consider him, Yeshua, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The point is simply, you look at Yeshua and you know that he continued the race and he finished it. And that's what the word of God calls on us to do, not to grow weary, which we all get from time to time, especially if you are involved in people work of one kind or another you may have heard the expression compassion fatigue where you help folks and then after a while you say you know I'm tired of helping people 
Uh, let, me, let me take a sabbatical to the Bahamas somewhere, you know. Just escape for a while. Um, and you know what? Most of the time, God doesn't let us have that option. One of my favorite hated scriptures because on some days I love it and some days I hate it so it depends on my perspective is Galatians 6 9 let us not be weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up so in difficult times I want to say alright let, let's take a pair of scissors and cut this out in my better moments I want to say okay Lord, show me what it means to persevere and, and, and continue and to press on because your word says that in due season, in God's time, God's time that he arranged, that he worked out, the good fruit, the good results, the wonderful things that he's planned for us will actually come about. And, and we look at Yeshua because we see that that's what he did. I read a uh, paraphrase of the New Testament done by Eugene Peterson, and he put it just very articulately. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story, the story of Yeshua, again, item by item, and see the long litany of hostility plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I don't know about you, I need some of that adrenaline sometimes. Because as you go through your walk with God, or as you know, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews describes it as a race, uh, you get weary. You come into these middle miles where no one sees you, just you and God, and, uh, and you get tired of the up and down and up and down and up and down. You want to say, okay, I've had enough. I'm going off here. I'm going to sit on, at the side. No one is going to see me. Okay, God, you see me, but... Uh, <laughs> and yet the word of God comes at us again and again. Don't bail. Do not bail. Because all of this is designed by God for good, and He is working for the good in our life, using those challenges, those difficulties, to do good things in us and through us. And part of this is a word that we don't particularly care for, discipline. You know, discipline especially for many of us doesn't have great connotations. You know, you think about your childhood and the way you were disciplined and uh, I would dare say that very few of us here could raise their hand and say the discipline that I received was wonderful, it was well thought out, it was very deliberate, uh, it was very focused, very focused towards teaching me and training me and uh, to this day, I thank my, my parents, my father, my mother, for the kind of discipline that they put into my life. 
I would be surprised if there are a whole lot of people here who would say that. So discipline for us is, is, a, is a dirty word. It's, it's an uncomfortable word. We squirm with it. And so when we see the Lord speaking about discipline here, we want to back off and say, okay, God, I'm allergic to discipline. Um, yeah, I know you love me. Thank you. Pour your love upon me, but give someone else discipline. Well, it would help us to understand that the Hebrew word for discipline, musar, is a word that means not only to discipline and to chasten, but to instruct. To instruct. Because we need instruction. Do you need instruction? I do. We need discernment to know what is the path, how do we run the race of faith effectively. We need discernment that comes from that discipline that God gives us. Let me rattle through a number of scriptures here, and I want to see if you can listen and then say amen to that. You don't have to say it out loud. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your Torah. So Psalm 94, 12. Proverbs 3, 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, Musar, and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And of course, the writer of Hebrews is referring to this passage in Proverbs. The writer of Hebrews here picks up that same theme from Proverbs in verse uh, uh, 8, 9, and 10. If you are not disciplined and everyone goes disciplined, then you are an illegitimate child and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Respected in a sense of saying, God, um, from this perspective, I see my father's good points and his shortcomings, and he did the best he could. Important uh, statement to make, folks. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? <clears throat> the Greek word paideo has the sense of discipline that comes from a parental relationship, training a child uh, in, in a relationship, parental relationship between the father or mother and the child. God disciplines us in verse 10 for our good so that we may, sh may share in his holiness. And part of the challenge for us is that we cannot superimpose the imperfection and the difficulty we have experienced as children by our earthly parents onto the Lord. Let me say that again. What we experience from our earthly parents, particularly our earthly fathers, we cannot project that onto the Lord because we know that the Lord's discipline doesn't come from anger and is not done capriciously, like, get away from me. You're past, you're bothering me. But it's something that is done lovingly and is done for our good. And we have to be able to say, Lord, 
your discipline, whatever it looks like, is designed for my good in order to train me to become someone who knows how to walk in righteousness and holiness. Now, what does that mean? It, it means that when you're going through difficult times, that the faith struggle, the faith to run, the faith walk is that you stand before God and say, Lord, what I'm going through now, you are in it somehow. And you are working through it and you have good plans for me and I depend on you, depend on you to work those good plans to teach me the good things you want me to learn. And that you're not doing that capriciously or cruelly, but you're doing that because you love me. Can you say amen to that? If you haven't gotten to a point where you can say that, let me encourage you to have a little chat with the Lord today where you can review the tapes or let God review the video, the DVD, etc. and say, God, I repent of rotten perspective of you of considering you to be cruel and capricious and I embrace the fact that you love me, that you have things planned for the good for me and that you do good things in my life through the difficult times, through the discipline. That's the proper response that the Word of God calls on us to, to bring to the issue of God's discipline. Verses 5 and 6 of this chapter. Don't shrug off God's discipline. Don't be crushed by it. What is meant by shrugging off God's discipline? Well, you can say bad things happen. Stuff happens. Well, yes and no. Of course, bad things happened. However, if the Lord is in your life somehow, then is He not sovereign? Is He not in control in your life? And is he not working good plans in your life? And this can be an opportunity for you to experience the sovereignty of God and his affection. I know you, be, you may be looking at me as if I'm a shogi, but that's life, folks. We either live by that or we die by it. You know, my sister went through a period of time of great difficulty. She endured chemo and radiation because she had breast cancer. And I had this sense in my spirit. Now, I'm not usually someone who says, thus saith the Lord, but I just had the sense in my spirit that God was going to use this period of great difficulty in her life to shower his Abba Father's love upon her. And I said that to her. And at the time she said, you're nuts. <laughs> well, didn't quite say it, but she was a little dubious. Uh, and and from when she came out through that, and she was able to look back and see that that, in fact, is just what happened. 
that Abba Father showered his love upon her through this time of great difficulty. Don't shrug off difficult things in your life by consigning them to just chance and accident. Things happen. If the Lord is in your life, then is he not actively engaged with you? And is he not working a plan, a course for you to run? Conversely, we're told also not to be crushed by God's discipline. And we sometimes can look at events in our life and say, this is hard. Lord, you must have punished me because I did this, 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 and and that, which is eminently stupid and sinful. Yes, the Lord works to purify us, but his chastisement and his discipline is never intended to destroy us. It is always, always, always intended to build us up and to strengthen us. Why? Because he loves us. So you learn to submit to his discipline. Another dirty word in our culture, because that typically conveys the uh, misuse or abuse of human authority and its power. And that when you submit to authority, you get the washout, the bad experience of human authority. And sometimes the loss of freedom and all sorts of things. But when scripture tells us to submit to the Lord, it is not a passive thing where you lay down and die, but it is active thing where you say, Lord, I welcome you. I welcome your rule in my life. I gladly submit to what you have in mind. Because I know you intend good purposes for me. And that's the perspective the Word of God calls on, calls on us to do. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Greek word there, by the way, comes, we get our word for gym or gymnastics from that. You can go through difficult things and they'll be an absolute waste of time. Or there can be a time when you actually get harder and more bitter as a result of the difficult times and in a sense go backwards in your relationship with the Lord, go backwards in the race of faith. Or you can welcome the Lord's work in your life and allow yourself to be trained by these circumstances and say, Lord, give me ears. I'm clueless. Open my eyes so that I can see what you're doing through these experiences. And folks, when you have that perspective, then you don't feel like you're buried under circumstances, but you know that God is in control. Who Allah hakiseh? You can say after me, Hu al hakiseh. There you go. If you have that perspective, folks, 
then you're not buried under circumstances. But rather you see what God is doing in your life, what God is doing through you. And no, it is not a piece of cake, and no, it's not simple, and no, it's not fun, and yes, it is difficult. And yes, we can grow through it. Which is why the writer of Hebrews in verse 7 tells us, endure hardship as discipline. Aren't these words lovely? Just real touchy-feely? Um, again, the literal meaning there is go through and persevere. And that's not something that we take to naturally. It's not something our culture promotes because our culture promotes Things happening instantly, go for it. And unfortunately, even among the body of Messiah, his people often want to have a, a smooth word of God that, that is touchy-feely and li- leaves out the difficulties. The problem with that, folks, is that if we don't hear and understand the word of God about difficult times, we assume that God is not in it, that it's an absolute waste. And all we can see is like, God, get me out of here. God, get me through this. God, bring me into the, let the good time roll. And, and we want to somehow erase, erase the tapes and make them go away, which is absolutely foolish. It is absolutely foolish. Because God wants to do his good work in us through those times of discipline and difficulty. If you remember the parable of the seed, or the soils rather, the four soils, and um, how that sower went out and sowed and some seeds fell on on absolutely stony ground and were picked up by the birds, etc., etc. You, you probably know the, the parable. Out of those, only one out of the four was a fertile soil where the seed landed and germinated and then sent off shoots and leaves and so on. And here's Yeshua's explanation, Luke 18. But the seed... On good soil, the legitimate believer stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And yes, it is testing. But the word of God tells us that persevering, the process that we go through we must allow it must allow God to complete the process. Do you want to be spiritually spiritually undeveloped by bailing out? Here's another verse that deals with the same kind of process. First Peter six, 
Well, excuse me, 1 Peter 1, verse 6. You may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it is refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Messiah Yeshua is revealed. In other words, all that to say that difficulties in your life are not accidental. They're not accidental. And we can't stand here, and I'm not going to stand here and suggest that every bad thing that happens is by God's design. But God works through all of it. God works through all of it. And we can either look at these circumstances and, and kick God out of the picture or, or else we can stand and say, Lord, you're doing something here. You're doing something. I, I, I'm beginning to see some vague outlines here. I'm beginning to hear some, some vague words, some vague communication. Would you please speak to me more clearly? And then wait. Wait in faith, in dependence on God, keeping your eyes on Yeshua, that just as He persevered, we learn to persevere. And yes, the Lord knows that our faith gets wobbly. He doesn't reject us. He simply challenges us, encourages us to stand and get back in the race. And really more to the point, He doesn't expect us to do it alone. He gives us the needed power to persevere, folks. The ability to persevere, to hang in there, not to bail out, comes from God. Therefore, would you please stand? And please hear the word of God for all of us. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. As God strengthens you and I, then we are able to be His vessels to make level paths for others who are struggling and who need healing. Let's pray. Lord God, You put a stout challenge before us, Lord, and uh, we want to hear your word and receive it by faith. Combine it by faith, Lord. I pray for each one of us, Lord. You know where we are. You know, Lord, what has been, uh, what the alligators are that have been snipping at us. And we pray, Lord God, that our eyes will be on you, not on the alligators. Pray, Lord God, 
that you would teach us to welcome your rule and your sovereign work with us through all circumstances. That we would see you at work, that we would honor you, that we would praise you because you do what you do because you love us. And Lord, that we would cooperate and participate in your redemptive plan in our life. And that you would receive the honor and the glory through all of it.